Amen, Paul. Thank you. Really proud of you. Yep, don't forget that. Awesome, awesome. Just for those of you who want, we are right now looking at planning, trying to put together a trip, a missions trip to Guatemala next year. Next, uh, I'm not sure exactly when next year, but we're looking to do that. And so begin to prepare your heart. It's a great missions trip. It's a, it's a place to get to go see some of the houses that we paid to build this year. And, and we'll build some more. We'll be a part of that. And uh, it's a great trip with lots and lots of different opportunities to minister. So please... Uh, Put that on your radar. Get ready. We are going to continue. If you've got your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We are continuing in verses 18 through 35, and we are looking at, in this investigation of Jesus, Emmanuel, we are looking at the life of John the Baptist. We are looking into some of the things that were said about him, some of the things that he did. This is an important place, and we should examine his life. And I think that there's things where we look at the different people in Scripture, and, and the reason that many are most are in Scripture so that we can learn from their life, that we can learn that what they did and what God called them to do are things that we can do as God calls us, and we can see the same results that will come as he provided in the Bible. He's given us this opportunity to learn from people's lives. And last week, we talked about John's family, his upbringing. We talked about some background information that we would learn about John and came to the point where we read this most extraordinary statement that was made about John that Jesus said he was the greatest man in the world. It says in John chapter, or Luke chapter 7 and verse 28, it says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Now, that is a pretty amazing statement to make about one individual. Amen. Come on, help me. I can't believe it. First service was way more vocal than you guys. Come on. Yeah, there we go. And, and so we, in this, we should look at this question. Why did Jesus say that about him? What was it about John that made him so great that he would say such a thing? What was it that happened in that? And we'll find some of the answers in some of the things that we see here in Luke chapter 7. And uh, again, last week we talked about this. One of the reasons that I believe Jesus found greatness in the life of John was because in the life of John, John sought answers to the questions that he had about Jesus. He, he looked for the answers. He wasn't willing to just say, I got questions without finding the answers. Listen to what it says in, in verse 18. It says, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. So John was in jail and the disciples had been you know, watching Jesus and they saw these things and they were coming to John now. And John then calls two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord. So he's now he's sending these disciples back to Jesus and he says, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So John has these questions about Jesus, but John was great because John sought the answers to those. He was not willing to just let his questions be unanswered because I think part of what he knew was that his unanswered questions would seep into or decay into unbelief, which would become doubt and then fall away. And many of us, we, we don't seek answers to the questions that we have about Jesus in church. We all have questions about Jesus. 
in the natural progression of our spiritual life, we will all have questions about him. Life circumstances, and how does this line up, Jesus? We'll have these questions. What do we do, though, with them? Many people don't want to seek answers. Honestly, some don't want to seek answers because it takes work. You got to dig in. You got to dig into your word. You got to dig into the Bible. You need to seek out what some of those answers are, and we don't want to. Other people don't want to seek answers to the questions we have about Jesus because we have a pretty good idea what we know the answer is going to be, and we don't really like it. We need to seek the answers. We need, to, we need to believe that Jesus has the very best. And the answers that we find are answers that we're going to be blessed with. We may not like them. It will grind our flesh. But they will be what's best for us. So anyway, we talked about that last week. This week, I want to get into this next set of verses here. And I believe that one of the reasons that Jesus saw this in John and made this statement about him was because he saw John that he completely trusted in Jesus. He completely and totally trusted Jesus. In fact, what we call that is great faith. He had great faith in Jesus. Listen to what it says in verse 21. In that hour, he, meaning talking about Jesus, he, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. He, he cast out demons. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And verse 22, and he answered them, go and tell John. So Jesus is telling these two disciples, go tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. And he says, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the good news preached to them. Amen. And then verse 23. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So in this, if you dig into it, what you will find is that Jesus, in this moment, is pulling from seven different, at least seven, I say there's a lot more, I just looked up seven, but seven different places he's drawing from the prophecies, the promises, the words of Isaiah. He's taking these straight out of what Isaiah said, and Jesus is declaring these seven different sections of Isaiah, saying, this is what's happening here. Jesus is obviously somebody who knows the scripture. I, I, I want to just take a moment to share this, because I, I mean, so, but, but how does Jesus know the scripture? Was Jesus, was Jesus, did Jesus know the scripture because as fully man, he had to spend the time digging in and learning and memorizing the scripture? Or did Jesus, because he was also fully God, and he is the word of God. Now, again, you can talk about this at your life groups and, and go through this. I, I don't, I'm not saying that I know the answer to that, because I think it's probably a bit of both. But I do think that, man, I, you know, Jesus is the example in what we're to do and how we're to live. And I think that if, uh, uh, you know, that Jesus dug into the word of God, that he learned the word of God, because that's what he calls me to do. 
to dig in, to learn the word, to find out what the word of God has to say. And I think he makes a really good example for you and I that we need to be delighting ourselves in the Lord. We need to find out what the word of God says. We need to be putting the word of God in our heart. We need to be studying the word. We need to be memorizing the word. We need to be learning the word. We need to be hearing the word. We need to be reading the word. We need to be getting into the word so that the word of God gets into us because if the word of God doesn't get into us, then we have no word to come out of us. And God wants to let the Holy Spirit use the word of God in us so that when a situation or a circumstance rises up, the Holy Spirit can bring that word to remembrance and we begin to use it as life circumstances come at us. We need to have that word of God in our heart richly dwelling in us. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing here. So Isaiah, Isaiah was a book that was written some 700 years before Jesus was born. And there are many, if you look in many commentaries, there are many scholars who, who like to call Isaiah the fifth gospel. And they call it the fifth gospel because there are so many statements and so many promises and so many prophecies about the life of Jesus. 700 years before he was born, foretelling what Jesus would say, what Jesus would do, and doing it in great detail. And, and he was saying, this is, Jesus would do this, and he would do this, and the Messiah would do that, and that he would come from here, and that he would be born of a virgin. That's how you're going to know that the Messiah is among you, because never before has a virgin ever given birth to anybody, and never again will a virgin ever give birth to anybody. But there's this one time in all of history that a little girl, a virgin, gets pregnant, and she begins to, and she gives birth to a baby. That's how you'll know that the Messiah has come. And all of that was prophesied in Isaiah. He was talking about all of that, about the Savior, our Redeemer. And so Jesus is pulling from Isaiah, and he pulls from Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah 26, Isaiah 29, Isaiah 32, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 40, Isaiah 61. He's pulling from all of these scriptures here in this moment. And he's grabbing these portions of Isaiah and he's taking these prophecies and he's telling John's followers, go tell John that everything that Isaiah said would happen when God was among you is happening right now because I am God among you. And so he's talking about all of this. And one of the things that he says, go tell John this. Go tell John that the blind receive their sight. Isaiah 29, 18. And, and let me also say this. I, there, there is so much here. Listen, we could, spend, we could spend months and months just breaking down each and every one of these things that he makes a statement on. We could go through all of these things and look at all of the physical and the spiritual implications that each and every one of these statements has. And you can dig into that and share some of those in your life groups because I'm not going to be able to go into all of it. In fact, I, part of it was like, you know what? No, I'm going to leave some of these things unsaid because I want you. You are smart enough. You have heard enough. You know enough to be able to input some of the spiritual implications into some of the things that we're talking about. There's a time, church, where we have to do that, where, where you got to, you know what? No, I'm not just going to, I'm not just going to, you know, go for the milk. I'm going to dig in for some meat here. And, and so you need to hear some of this. Isaiah 29, 18, out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Now, we got to understand the concept that's happening here. In the, the concept here is that Jesus is king. Amen. Jesus is king, and Jesus is the ruler over a perfect kingdom. 
Come on, amen. Jesus is the perfect king over a perfect kingdom. And when God made this world, he created this world. And the world had, it wasn't, had, didn't have sickness. And there was, he made this world without suffering and without pain and without sin, without death. But because of sin, there's now sickness in this world. And we experience suffering and we have death in this world that each and every one of us have to contend with. And that our God is ushering in, Jesus, in this time, he's coming and he's ushering in a brand new kingdom. He is the, this is the inauguration of a brand new kingdom. And the world in which we live, church, this world is going to come to an end. You know how I know? Because Jesus said so. And when this world ends, an eternal kingdom will be unveiled. And that kingdom begun to be established. The inauguration of that kingdom began at the first coming of Christ. And church, just as that kingdom was certainly inaugurated at the first coming of Christ, he came just as Isaiah said, he's going to come again. And he's coming this time. And the second time he comes, this world will come to an end. And we will have the inauguration, or not the inauguration, but the fullness of glory. Because his kingdom will be fully established at that time at the coming the second coming of Christ and so when Jesus does come into this world when he's born into this world the Messiah comes that means that the king is among us and when the king is among us even in this darkened sin-filled world when the king is among us what he's giving us in these gospels is he's giving us glimpses of kingdom life he's giving us glimpses of what it is in his kingdom that things will be like he's sharing with us and showing what kingdom life will look like and the little bits and parts of the kingdom are being revealed to us. Kingdom power is being exposed to us. Kingdom life is breaking out for us. And one of the things that he does in the, in the expression of kingdom life and the revelation of kingdom life is he heals blind eyes. He was physically healing the blind. This it was miraculous, this demonstration of his power, the kingdom power. Listen, he's showing you and I the kingdom power of the king. And that's what we see in all of this. I, uh, I, I think about that when I think about you know, somebody going blind. And maybe some of you in this place today, maybe this is a struggle, something that you have had as, as a difficulty in your life. Every time I think of blindness and I read these scriptures, I'm, I'm always reminded, always reminded of, of a relative. I, I, I can't even remember exactly what the relative was. It was like a distant, a cousin of my dad's. But when we were, when I was a little boy, we used to every summer go to their, it was, they had a, a, a farm, a kind of ranch. They had a horse and some property and remember this big white two-story house. And we would go there every year and we would start pulling up on this dirt road. And the first thing that my dad would say when we got to that dirt road and we were approaching the house is my dad would say, oh, Okay, remember kids, no staring. And so we would, we would go in and, and he would say that because he didn't say that the first couple times we went and all we did was stare. <laughs> because my, his cousin, he, he had real difficulty with his eyes. And he had, back in the day, my dad, I thought my dad had thick glasses, but this guy had like Coke bottle glasses. They were like these great big magnifiers that he would wear. And so when you would look at him, his eyes were like this big. <laughs> and so we would sit there trying not, not to look, you know, it's like, but, but dad, his eyes are that big. <laughs> well, they were super, super nice people, and they had kids that were younger than us, and we would go play and, and, and all that. But we came back one year, and he had an eye patch on. 
he was a machinist and a screwdriver had gotten stuck in one of the machines he was working on. And when the machine released the screwdriver, it impaled his left eye. And his right eye, over time, honestly, it was less than a year, could not handle the, the pressure or whatever. But we came back and he was totally blind. And I, I didn't really think about it too much then. I, I think about it now because he did. He had kids that were younger than us and I was just a little boy then. And that, that nicest man in the world, but he never got to see his kids grow up. He never got to watch his little girl wear her white wedding dress. He never got to see the, you know, the, the chubby little legs on his grandkids. He never got to watch as his wife and he grew old together. So many things that you don't have or can't see when you're blind. But you know what? In God's kingdom, the blind see. Well, the blind will see. And for some, that can be this miracle in this life. For some, we, we see Jesus doing that. We see and hear testimonies of, of God's miraculous move in the lives of people where the blind have their sight, where God does that. But let me say this, even if it doesn't happen in this world, in God's kingdom, every child will have full-blown eyesight. We will be able to see better than we could ever see. We'll begin to see with eyes like we've never known. The blind will see. It's a guarantee that in the kingdom that's to come in the resurrected body that Jesus Christ patterned for you and for me, the blind will see. Now, in Jesus' life, when he was walking about, he, there were times when Jesus did. He healed the blind. And can you imagine what it was like for the blind to see, for their eyes to be opened, and the first person they see is Jesus. Church, you know one day, our darkened eyes the t places where in this world we only see in part, we only see as a shadow, we only see a little bit. One day our eyes will close in this darkened world and will open up in glory and each and every one of us will see fully. There will be no more shadows. There will be no more doubt. And when we open our eyes in glory, the first thing we'll see is the face of Jesus. How amazing. Jesus is saying... Go tell John that people are having their eyes opened. Go tell John that the blind see. Go tell John that mothers and fathers are seeing their children for the first time. Go tell John that people are seeing what a flower looks like for the first time. Go tell John that people are seeing their loved ones for the first time. Go tell John that people are squinting because they, for the first time, see what the sun is like. Go tell John that the blind see. Second thing he says is go tell John that the lame walk. In Isaiah 35, 6, it says, then will the lame leap like a deer. You know, I, 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 I see people walk around and watch people struggle with some sort of debilitating kind of issue and, and many people that have those things because of an accident or because of a sickness or because of a, an issue, some simply because of old age. There's a point where, you know what? And again, the lame that 
that we see in our world today, people that wear braces on their legs and need crutches to walk or in a wheelchair because they can't walk. I am always reminded every single time. That, and again, those are the lame. Those are those that are, that are physically unable. And every time I see that, every time it makes me just want, stop and pray. God, let your healing virtue come. Let your healing virtue come. Keeps me praying for Paul. Because you feel sorry for him? No, because that cane reminds me to pray for him. I'll never forget one time Joni was in the grocery store and she was checking out in the line and the cashier was started, she didn't know her and it was just some idle talk back and forth and the woman started to tell her how she had a little boy, a son, who had to wear braces and she was really anxious because this week she was going to the doctor to find out what they were going to do. That, were they going to do surgery or was he, would he ever be able to walk without these braces? And so Joni, right then and there, I pray for God to give me the faith to be able to do this. But right then and there, stopped and said, can I pray for you? And right there in the checkout line, stopped and prayed for this woman. Well, a week later, she walked back into the store. And this time, the woman comes running over to her when she sees her. She says, you won't believe what happened. You won't believe. We went to the doctor's appointment. They took the, the uh, braces off of his legs, and his legs were working just fine. Everything's working just fine. He didn't need to have surgery, and he doesn't need his braces anymore. Praise God. God. God is able to heal those that are walking in those places where they are lame. And it should bring us to a place where we're willing to pray, willing to let that be uh, something that reminds us to prayer. But church, if that does not come in this lifetime, the promise is that when the king returns, that the, when the kingdom is unveiled, the lame will walk. That's what he says. And so he's telling, he says to these two disciples, go tell John that the lame that used to be in wheelchairs, they're walking now. Go tell him that the little kids who used to watch everyone play are signing up for soccer now. Go tell him that the little kids that used to have to just watch are now running and they're jumping and they're, they're, they're leaping and they're swimming and they're all over the place. Go tell John that the lame are walking. He says, go tell the lepers are cleansed. Isaiah 61 in verses 2 and 3, it says, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of joy instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Now, again, we've talked about lepers before. Lepers were the bottom of the social order. They were outcasts. They were cast out. Literally, they were cast into outer darkness. They were cast out of the city, out of a place of provision, out of a place where they would have any kind of life. And they were commanded that any time they came in within a certain distance of anybody, they were to call out, unclean, unclean, so that people knew that these people they believed to be cursed of God were in the vicinity. Unclean. And this was a debilitating, this was an absolutely horrific disease, still is. In that day, they believed that it was contagious, a skin condition that literally would destroy a person. They lost all feeling. They lost any ability to feel. And so oftentimes they would be burned or they would be cut and they, they would be seriously injured and wouldn't even know it because they couldn't feel it. And then infection would set in and those infections would become serious and many died a horrible death from some of the infections and some of the different things that would come against them. They would lose body parts 
that would fall off. So not only are they in horrific pain, they're cast out into loneliness, they're cast out into despair, and they're also, I mean, they're outcasts from everyone. And they're disfigured as a constant ongoing reminder of this terrible disease. And the fact that they could no longer hug their loved ones. A dad could no longer hug his wife. A, a, a mom could no longer hug her children. She was separated and cast out from them. They could no longer enjoy the company of friends because they had been cast out. And there was no hope. Church, these were, I want you to see, these were some of the loneliest people in the world. These were some of the most neglected people in the world. These were some of the most abused people in the world. And Jesus came and healed them of their leprosy. Oh, not just, listen, if you were a leper, you weren't just healed physically. There was so much more. Go tell John that the lepers that used to call out unclean are now calling out, I'm clean, I'm clean. Jesus made me clean, I'm clean. I, now that, go tell John that the lepers who used to run from people are now running towards people because they'd never hugged anybody in decades. And now they get to go hug somebody. Go tell John that the lepers that used to be outcasts are now being embraced, that the lepers that were not welcome are now being welcomed. Go tell John that those who are caught up in loneliness are now being surrounded by those who are happy to see them. He said, go tell John that the lepers have received a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Tell John that the lepers are being healed. He says, tell John that the deaf hear. Isaiah 29, 18, in that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll. I thought about all the things that being deaf would cause us to lose. You know, these people he's talking about never heard a bird chirp or sing. They, they never heard the wind blow through the trees. Can you imagine going through life never hearing the words I love you from a loved one? never hearing the word of God. And he says, go tell John that the deaf are hearing. Go tell John that the deaf are now hearing the word of God. For the first time, tell John Tell John that the poor have the good news preached to them. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And Jesus is saying, I'm, go tell John, I am declaring good news to the poor. Jesus loved the poor. He did. I mean, he loves the rich. He loves the poor. He loves them all. We all need to be saved. Everybody, no matter what the financial condition or situation might be, everyone needs to be saved. But Jesus has a special affection for the poor. And, and again, as we've been going through this, we realized that Jesus, Jesus was raised in a poor family. John, his cousin, was raised in a poor family. The people that were in their village, the people that they hung out with, the people that they knew, they were raised in a poor family. And again, be, you know, he's not talking about the unrighteous poor. Proverbs talks about the unrighteous poor. There is a place where people that are in poverty, they're there because of unrighteous reasons. Proverbs talks about it. There are people that are able-bodied, but they're too lazy and unwilling to work. People that chase after get-rich-quick plans and schemes. 
people who invest foolishly because they just want to find a way they don't have to work. People who gamble or drink their money away. People who aren't generous with other people. People who are foolish. And when people are foolish, they will reap what they sow. And oftentimes, poverty is a consequence of that, of what the Bible calls folly. So he's not talking about that kind of poverty. He's not talking about the guy on the corner holding the, you know, I need money for beer sign. Not that kind of poverty. He's talking about those who are righteous and poor. Those who work hard, but they don't have much. When I was growing up, I, I didn't know it, but we didn't have very much. And as I thought back, I, I realized, you know, my dad was a guy who went to work every single day and sat in an office cubicle doing a job that he hated. And he went there anyway, every single day because he came, and came home every single day. And he went and did and uh, submitted himself to all of that because he had seven kids at home that needed food on the table. And we didn't have a lot. I mean, we, my mom, she, she drove a, an old Plymouth station wagon. Maybe some of you remember those. It was an old Plymouth station wagon. You know, I realized that I didn't know it, but I, we never went on vacations. Like, I, as a kid, I never went to Disneyland. I didn't know what Knott's Berry Farm was. Yes, it was there then, but I didn't know what it was. We didn't go to amusement parks. I, I never flew on an airplane. We, we, honestly, when we went on vacation, we loaded up the Plymouth station wagon and we put tents on the top and that was our vacation. We went to a nearby lake and they, that's what we did. My mom could make a pound of hamburger go further than anyone I know. My mom invented hamburger helper. She was the original. Oh, I still can't stand it though. It's like... <laughs> she would crumble potato chips over the casserole, thinking that it made it kid-friendly. <laughs> but my dad, when things were tight, my dad, I remember him working at night. He'd got a second job, and he, he would work at night. He would work on the weekends. It was a hard, he was a hard-working man, and he taught us to work hard. But I'll tell you what my dad didn't do. My dad didn't not come home. My dad came home every single night. My dad didn't drink the money away. My dad didn't gamble the money away. My dad didn't blow the money because it wasn't there. But I never knew it because my mom and dad, and, and for whatever reason, uh, uh, they were generous and I remember every single week, my mom and dad, not my dad, my mom would load us kids up in the old Plymouth station wagon and we would go down to the grocery store and my mom would get some bags of food. And every single week we went down and we took food to this elderly lady that I'm not even sure how they got connected, but we would go every week and take it to this, this little lady. And I remember us kids going inside, and it was this little tiny one-room place. It was filthy, dirty. It was a terrible, terrible place. And this little old lady was just trying to make her ends meet together. And my mom would take food down to them every single week. Yet, you know, we're eating casseroles. And, and church, there was a generosity there. And I, I, I just, I think as I'm reading through this, I think that's what Jesus' family would have done. 
I think that's what John's family would have done. I think that's what the people that were surrounded, that they were surrounded with in these little towns would have done. And you know the sad thing is, is that people like that often get overlooked. Even in the religion, we often, we, it's overlooked because the religious are looking for the rich. You know what? Hey, if you're going to plant a church, I was told by a number of people, you know what? You're going to do a church out there? You need to move into Stansbury. No, that's not where we're called. People want to plant a church in a place where the people are, where, where we think the rich are. And, and again, the rich need church, the rich need God, the rich need to be saved. But Jesus is saying, you'll know that the kingdom of God has come when there's this emphasis and a, an affection for the poor. And in our nation, the poor can look like a lot of different things. In our nation, the poor can look like a struggling student that's just trying to pay his way through school, eating top ramen for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It can look like a, a single mom that's just trying to raise her kids and there's no one there to help her. It can look like a family who has made a decision for, for mom to stay home so that they can raise their kids. The poor come in all sorts of shapes and forms. But church, the truth is this. In the eyes of the rest of the world, we are the rich. We are all the rich. And if you've ever been to an impoverished nation, if you've ever been to you know, the, the slums in India, if you've ever been to some of the, the villages in Africa, if you've ever been to some of the places in South America or Central America or even some of the barrios in Mexico, then you know that, man, the poorest among us are rich compared to the rest of the world. So church, when Jesus is talking about the poor and the rich, which one are we? I think it has to do with circumstance. And it depends on how we see ourselves. But church, we gotta be careful that we don't let our circumstances feeling like we're poor become something that, you know, becomes our go-to because you know what? There's always, always going to be the, the poor that Jesus really speaks about, which again, may be some in bad circumstances now, but there's always others that are in situations that are worse than ours. And therefore, you know, even though we may feel like we're poor at the moment, we have to understand that we are rich and we need to be generous towards the poor. As the rich, we need to be generous to make sure that the gospel message is going out to those who are poor. And what is that? He says, go tell John, the good news is being preached to the poor. What's the good news? What's the good news that Jesus is telling the poor? He's telling the poor, salvation is free. Amen. It's free, not because it's cheap, but because it's priceless and you can't afford it. So therefore, Jesus made it free. Salvation comes through the substitutionary death that Jesus Christ, he laid his life down on the cross to take upon himself our sins so that he would die for our sins, pay the penalty for our sins, and that he would arise for our life. That we could have life because Jesus Christ laid down his for us. And we can have life because he set us free from the guilt and the shame of our sin and death. And he overcame that. Jesus came into this world to conquer death, to conquer sin, and to bring salvation to mankind that we might rise with him. And that that is a free gift and that's what he gives. And Jesus is speaking this to the poor because the poor are going, what must we do? How can we ever afford it? How much is all this going to cost? And, and they're saying, no, listen, 
Jesus paid it all. Do you know today that Jesus paid it all? He paid it all for you. Jesus has canceled our debt. Jesus' life, he purchased our salvation, and he has then given us salvation by grace and grace alone, which means that if you're poor or if you're rich, it doesn't matter. All you need to do is receive Jesus Christ because it is his free gift for you and for me. Jesus' gift to you and me is salvation. Have you received that gift? Are you still looking at how you're going to earn it? I tell you, this is why at church, this is why, this is why we don't, it would cut down on the crowd, but this is why there's no entry fee. This is why we don't require, this is why everything we do, we try to do everything we do free. This is why the conferences that we do are free. This is why the Bibles we give out are free. This is why the classes we do are free. This is why the food that we give out is free. This is why the clothing that we give out is free. We give it all out because we want the rich, the poor, whoever's in need to have all the same access to the provision of God so that they might come to know the love of God. And church, that's what you do because as Christians, what we are called to do is to be generous, to be generous towards the poor. Not because we're going to earn the love of God by being generous, but because we've received the love of God, which makes us want to be generous. We're, we're, we're generous because God is, has a heart after those that are in need. And because God has a heart after those that are in need, we want to have a heart after those that are in need. And so we want to give towards that. And besides that, everything we have comes from Him anyway. The last one of these that he comes to is tell John that the dead are raised. He says in Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You will who dwell in the dust awake and sing for joy. For the dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. Church, that's how we know that we know that the king is among us and that the kingdom has been inaugurated. The penalty, that if for the wage, the, the consequence of sin is death. And church, because of that, we will all die. But through Jesus Christ and through him alone, we also then will rise. We have the opportunity. That says Jesus raised people from the dead. And in the gospel, he did. There's a number of times, three times for sure. There's uh, Jairus' daughter. There's the Uh, the widow's son, and there's Lazarus, and he called these men, he called these people, he called them from death to life, showing that Jesus Christ is truly king over death. He is the king of all kings, and he rules over death. And today, by his death, death has been defeated, and by his life, life has been given where death once ruled. We have been given that. And in Jesus calling the dead, in Jesus, he was foreshadowing his resurrection from the dead, and it's a foreshadowing of yours and my resurrection from death as well. And John says to these disciples, he says, I know, this is what I want you guys to do. Go tell John everything that I've done. Go tell him everything that we've been doing. And John is great because he completely trusted in Jesus. He he didn't even hear the words. He couldn't hear the words. He was in jail. He didn't hear Jesus say it. He didn't see Jesus do these things. But he completely and fully trusted in the eyewitness testimony of those who did hear and those who did see. 
And church, those are the same things. We're in the same position. You and I, we didn't see Jesus. We weren't there to hear Jesus, but we have the opportunity to fully and completely trust in the eyewitness testimony that has been given to you and I in what we call the Bible. And John, just as he was faithful to trust in the words of trusted testimony, we are called to believe in the words of trusted testimony. And that is what John was called great for. Because John, he heard those words, and in hearing those words, words and trusting those words, John became willing to die for something that he didn't even actually hear or see. He was willing to die for something that he heard the testimony come from those he did believe. In church, you and I, we are called to the same kind of devotion, to that same kind of devotion to the scriptures and to the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to finish with this Last verse, because now all that being said, Jesus says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That's weird. Why is that there? I mean, all these wonderful things that have happened, all this beautiful testimony of Jesus, and he says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Why would Jesus say that? It's almost like, well, this is his cousin. He knows him pretty well. I imagine he knows him fairly well. And it's like Jesus anticipates. Hey, you know what? I know John well enough to know that we're gonna, he's going to be told all these things. And, and John has a propensity, and he may very well be offended by these things. And so I'm going to tell him, don't be. Don't be offended, John. I know that you might. I know that you probably will. Why? I wonder if John had some preconceived ideas about everything that Jesus should be doing. I wonder if John had some preconceptions about all the things that he thought Jesus should do it like this and he should be doing it like this and Jesus wasn't doing it that way. And I know that this could become frustration for John. He might even question that. He might become offended. Church, some of us are like that. I believe that even in the church, there are a lot of people who live their Christian life with a, an offense. Oh man, you know what? My life with Jesus is not going the way I wanted it to. Things aren't working out the way I thought they were going to work out. Things aren't going the way I scripted it. And I wrote it all out. I gave it to Jesus, but Jesus won't say his lines. What's wrong with them? I'm offended by that. Or could there possibly be this place where, could you imagine... Jesus filling out a job resume. I mean, so, you know, accomplishments. Well, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the good news preached to them. That's quite a resume. And, I, and, and again, this speaking this to John and speaking this to you and I. Wow, Jesus has a way better resume than I do. 
That bums me out. Because what that means is if I disagree with him, I should probably change my mind. That's offensive. I don't want to change my mind. How many of us, because we won't change our mind, and neither does Jesus, and we get offended, and we hold on to that offense. Let me just say this. If you and Jesus disagree, change your mind. Change your mind. But it offends a lot of people. Truth is, is that there's some of you that are even possibly offended with Jesus. You just have gotten so used to living with it, you just don't call it an offense anymore. Now it's just a misunderstanding, or I, I just don't get it, or we just leave it in the realm of unanswered questions, or a lack of trust. I trust Jesus with so much, mm, but that area there, that one I'm going to just hold on to. I know what he says. And much of what Jesus says is offensive. Jesus said, think about this. Jesus said to them, he's God. You're just from Nazareth. You're Joseph's son. That's, when Jesus said that, and to many of us, that's offensive. Do you know that Jesus says this? That, that there's only one God. And Jesus Christ is it. Okay, there's only one way to forgiveness, and Jesus Christ is it. Why? Because he's God. Okay, he's not just another man. He is God. He is Emmanuel. And that's offensive. No, 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 no. I found a secret way to heaven. When Jesus says, no, you didn't. I'm the only way. How dare you, Jesus, question me? Or how about when when we love this part of our life and we love doing this and we love being a part of this and we love living this way and we love accepting this and we love that and Jesus says, but that's sin. Oh, that's offensive. Or I like this in my life and I like these things and I like doing these things in my life. And Jesus says, but that's demonic. How dare he? That's offensive. Church, there are many who would be offended by Jesus. Many. And Jesus is saying, I understand your propensity towards offense. He's saying this to John even. I understand your propensity, but if you want to be blessed, and I certainly hope that you want to be blessed, then don't be offended with me. Trust me. Don't be offended with me. Believe in me. Don't be, a tr- don't, don't, don't be offended with me. Follow me. Just like John did. Look, are you offended with Jesus? Are there truths of Christian doctrine that you just, you know, in your heart say, you know what, that that offends me. This is what Jesus is saying, and I believe this is what he would say to you today. I kind of anticipated that. 
So I don't want you to be offended. So don't be offended with me. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. I'm God. I know your tomorrows. I know everything about you. And I am good to complete that which I have begun in you. Trust me. Trust me. And John, John is great because he fully and completely had faith and trust in Jesus, in who Jesus was. And that trust revealed itself in this. And listen to this, because I, I, I'm going to close with this. He fully and completely had trust in Jesus, which in John, that meant that in his heart, he was going to relinquish his right. And for us, it will mean that we relinquish our right. And some of us do believe this to be a right. I don't think it's a right, but I think a lot of people do think that this is a right. He relinquished his right to judge Jesus. Church, we don't judge Jesus. Jesus, Jesus will judge us. And John trusted that Jesus would do whatever was best. Whatever was best. Even though he was locked up in jail, even though he didn't like his circumstance, even though he didn't care for the situations in his life, even though he was upset probably, and I would have been, about where he was because of the gospel, even though he doesn't understand everything that's happening, okay, but I trust that Jesus will do what Jesus said. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, do what only you can. Lord, share with each and every heart your love for them. I pray that today, Lord God, that you would open blind eyes, that you would unstop deaf ears, that God, you would bring healing to those who have been outcast, those who have been separated, that, Lord God, you would cause your grace and glory to be found as you raise in us, you raise up places that once were dead and bring them to life. For those, Lord God, that were dead in their spirit, bring life as they call upon your name. For those who were dead in their sin, Lord, bring resurrection power and forgive their sin and raise them up in this time. As, God, we receive the gospel message today, let it all, Lord God, be a reflection that your kingdom shall come on earth as it is in heaven, that you, Lord God, will have your way in us, and in each and every life, God, have your way today. Lord, have your way today. While you're in a moment of prayer, let me just ask you, are you struggling today? with an offense with Jesus? Has it kept you from diving in, from really becoming a part of the body, from receiving from Him? Listen to Jesus. Blessed is He that is not offended because of me. Jesus, because he understands, church. He does. He understands. Jesus, I give you this offense. I give it all to you. God, I don't want to hang on to this. I want you to come and to forgive me, to let me, Lord God, to follow after you. I lay it all down, God. 
Maybe you've been hurt by church. Maybe you've been hurt by church people. Maybe you've been offended in those areas and it's keeping you from Jesus. Let go of the offense. It's the bait of Satan. Lord God, have your way. Have your way. See yourself this morning laying it down. only help we have. He's the only help we have. together. Thank you for this beautiful family. Thank you, Lord God, for the way that you draw us together. Our hearts can be restored in you. That, Lord, we can come and be, Lord, one body. And I thank you for that today. And I pray your blessings over the church, over the body of Christ, and over each and every one who hears to hear. Let them receive from you today. As we thank you and praise you, Lord, we do it in Jesus' name. Come on, amen. All right, church is not over. Church is about to begin. Go be the church. God bless you. I love you. Have a beautiful day. Don't forget, get plugged into a life group. God bless you all. I love you.